Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. And we want to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. And in uh, John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So please join us in worshiping him this morning.
We are so grateful today for your amazing grace that you looked down through time and loved us even though we were sinners. We ask you, Lord, to take these broken pieces and make them into something precious in your sight. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. Be with us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. You may be seated.
She just wants to be beautiful. She goes unnoticed. She knows no limits. She craves attention. She praises an image. She prays to be sculpted by the sculptor. She don't see the lights are shining deeper than the eyes can find it. Maybe we have made her blind, so she tries to cover up her pain. Cut her woes away, cause cover girls don't cry after their face is made. But there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. You don't have to change a thing, the world could change its heart. No scars to your beauty. The stars and we're beautiful oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, oh. You don't have to change a thing The world could change its heart No scars to your beautiful The stars and we're beautiful She has dreams to be and then be so she Starving, you know, cover girls eat nothing She says, beauty is pain and there's beauty in everything What's a little bit of hunger? I can go a little while longer She fades away, she don't see her perfect She don't understand she's worth it All oh, that beauty goes deeper than the surface Oh, oh, to do all the girls at certain let me be your mirror, help you see a little bit clearer. The light that shines within, there's a hope that's waiting for you in the dark. You should know you're beautiful just the way you are. You don't have to change a thing, the world can change its heart. No scars to your beautiful, we're stars and we're beautiful. series that we're calling Little White Lies. I was uh, talking to somebody last week, and they said to me, uh, Blair, you know there's no such thing as a little white lie, don't you? And, and what they were trying to uh, communicate was that it doesn't matter the size of the lie. The consequences that come with that lie can be devastating, and so a lie is a lie. And I, I agree with that sentiment. I agree with that sentiment. I think these things are, are dangerous in our lives. That's why I'm talking about it, but I'm convinced there are little white lies the lie's small. It's not really obvious to you. And even more, it's white. It seems good. It seems right. In fact, it might even seem wise of you to adopt it. And so you, you embrace that into your life, and it ends up being really destructive. I've been tr um, trying to choose lies that are common to lots and lots of people, which has resulted in a few conversations that have started like this. Blair, was that about me? Did you, are you talking about me? And I, I can just tell you, I never, I've never ever done this. I've never planned a message and thought, 
oh, I should say this. This would be really good for so-and-so to hear. I, it's not that specific. What I'm trying to do is find big things that a lot of us wrestle with and put it out there for you to go, hey, is this, is this going on in my life anywhere? And because we're using really common lies, it's not surprising that some of you have thought, hey, this is happening. But I can just tell you right now, the examples that I'm using, the things that I come up with, um, they've happened over years of my life. I've heard them from enough people to know you're not the only one who's dealing with that sort of thing. In fact, there's a lot of people that have all kinds of sorts of baggage um, that end up kind of in their lives because of these little white lies. The one we're going to talk about today, I think, is another common one. And I, I think it's prevalent. The difficulty with it is when I tell you what it is, you might not identify with it right away. In fact, you might think to yourself, that's not me. And you might think that because I've never had one person have a conversation with me and use this lie to describe themselves. They've never said, I feel this way. But, but it's there because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's in the way. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that's piled in the way that they can't see through. But that's really what's at stake. So I'm going to take a little while um, to talk about this and set this up. And I want you to wait until I've gone through it all before you just decide, oh, that's not me. That's not anything that I deal with. Okay? Here's the lie. I am worthless. Never had anybody sit down with me and say, I'm worthless. But I've had lots of people communicate this kind of thing to me. I am worth less. I'm worth less than this other person. I'm worth less than the ideal. I'm worth less than how God values me. And they, they wouldn't say I'm worth less than how God values me, but that's exactly what's happening. They have this sense that they're worth less than what God values them as. And this is how it works. It doesn't start with I'm worthless. This little white lie works itself into your life. It finds an insecurity that you currently have and it festers it, or it starts one. And that little insecurity causes you to wonder if there might be something wrong with you as a as a person. And over time, that insecurity grows till you begin to have difficulty with how you value yourself, with the worth that God sees you with. You see it differently. And so it starts small, but it grows into this thing where you feel worthless. Now, uh, because this lie is sneaky, I think it can come into our lives in lots of different ways. I'm going to pick three of the biggest ones. These are the three of the biggest ways that I've talked with people. I've heard over and over and over that um, a lie gets planted into your life this way. Okay, The first is a failure or a perceived failure. Um, maybe you tried something new and you knew you would have to get um, better at it. You'd have to practice and get good. And maybe you didn't practice enough and you tried it and you failed. And then the reasons flood your mind for why you failed. I, maybe I'm not skilled enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not. Maybe this, maybe I don't like this. I'm not passionate about this. And you start having reasons for a failure. Maybe it was a, just a perceived failure. Maybe you did flunk the test. Maybe you didn't pass that course. Maybe that actually happened. Maybe you lost a friendship. In the sense that you lost a friendship felt like a failure to you. Or you wound up um, being divorced and you felt like that was a sense of failure. Or that presentation that you had, you blew it. The sale was yours. It was right there. All you had to do was close it. And instead you said this. And it was all ruined. And you think of that failure. And over and over it goes in your mind. Um, Sometimes the failures can be quiet. They happen internally and nobody else knows about them, but you still feel the weight of that failure. Uh, you make a moral choice. N nobody knows the thought you had. Nobody knows the motivation you have. Nobody knows the attitude you did that with, but you do. And then you feel the weight of that, the guilt of that. And boy, it just... It, it 
crushes you. Um, some people have uh, attempted to have a baby and they haven't been able to conceive. And the sense in their own minds is that they're somehow a failure. They've done something wrong to put them in that position. And nobody else knows that they have that kind of thought. But they feel that sense of failure. Th these, these things where we have this sense of failure, they're just looking for a crack. They're just looking for a crack of insecurity that they can get in to start to make you wonder if you are the problem. Uh, the beauty about failure is it's one of life's best teachers. It has the ability to um, clarify your character. You can really grow. It can give you purpose. Like you can become really dedicated because of a failure and get really motivated. That's if you fail up. But many of us fail down. The, the failure knocks us down and keeps us down, and it runs around in our mind. And before you know it, words like, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, there's something wrong with me, and it festers in that insecurity, and it's working towards creating a place in your life where you're not valued. Another place that this little lie makes it into our lives is through negative words. Uh, it doesn't have to be words. Maybe in grade school, somebody passed you a little note and you opened it and said, I think you're ugly. And you're like, wow, that was uncalled for, right? But you remember that. And you have, maybe somebody wrote something on your Facebook wall and it was unkind and they, they mentioned your weight or something like that. And it's not just appearance stuff. Words can be delivered about your character, about your attitudes, about all kinds of stuff about who you are. And sometimes they're not even intended to harm you. It might be a review that you were in or you were getting some feedback that you asked for and some words were used and you heard them. And this is what happens with negative words. They bounce around in our mind. They bounce around in our mind. And pretty soon, we start to give them authority that they never had or were never used with in the first place, and they begin to define us. We see ourselves in that light. Those negative words are who I am. These, these negative words are devastating when they're delivered by somebody who loves you, when they come from a parent, when they come from um, somebody that uh, you look up to, a coach. They, they can steer and shake your life. I was uh, doing some reading on a guy named Lee Strobel. We're going to talk about him a little next week. And he related a story that shaped his life. Um, senior in high school, never got along with his dad very well. And they were having another one of their fights. And his dad looked at his son and said, I do not have enough love for you to fill up my little pinky. And... Uh, and you're like, wow, this, this is somebody who's supposed to love you. It's not that we're supposed to love our kids. We just have love for our kids. But this guy had somebody in his life who didn't have that sense of love for him and communicated that. And for, for Lee, it caused him to think, a God who would be my father, I want nothing to do with that. And it shaped his life. It shaped his life. So people who are important positions in your life, a parent, a spouse, that sort of thing. You have to be careful of the words that you deliver because they can burrow themselves into insecurity and cause problems. But the funny thing about negative words is they can come from a complete stranger and have an impact. I, I was doing research for this weekend. I, I don't know about our culture sometimes. It makes me shake my head. I, I found some stuff going on on a social media site. Uh, <clears throat> where people post a picture of themselves with a sign that says, roast me. And uh, the reason they do it is they've said, hey, this is just a joke. We're just having fun. Can I just tell you this? Some of the most cruel words are delivered with this tagline, I'm just kidding. No, you weren't. You just, you just couched it in a joke so that you could get away with it, but you meant for that to be harmful. It's why when you see kind of joking going on sometimes that's brutal, you're like, you need to stop this. A spouse who does that with another spouse, it's not funny. 
You need to cut that off. You're placing stuff into that person's life. And you might be saying it's a joke, but it's too much. You need to back it up. There's a place for joking. But this, goes, this is out of control. You post your picture with a sign that says, roast me. And then the internet um, and all of the people who are excellent at insulting people descend on that picture and post as many insults about you as they can. And then they rate the best one. Now, uh, I picked some that, well, there's a few that were funny. The rest really aren't funny. And most of them I can't even show you. They're either crude or they're so brutal. They're uh, um, in unkindness. I couldn't do it. This one at least made me laugh, okay? He posted this on there, and this is the best one that he got. You look like an extra from Breaking Bad. Now, if you don't know what Breaking Bad is, that's a show about meth. That was funny, okay? That, I laughed at that. I was like, okay, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty easy, right? But it starts to go downhill. Well, not, the next one was funny. It was playful. The guy wrote his sign, Roast Me, and he had big spaces in between each of the letters. And then they wrote this. He's right, his matching rights is teeth. They're both double-spaced. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I know Michael Strahan has been offered to have his teeth fixed, and he's like, no. That's how people recognize me. That's like a trademark. I'm not getting rid of that. But after that, man, it went downhill. Look at the kind of stuff that people were saying. The only thing fuzzier than your beard is your recollection of what it's like to perform a physical activity. Like they're putting in a knife and twisting, and people are voting going, oh, yeah, that's a great insult. Next one. That haircut is the physical manifestation of I want a divorce. Now, listen, I wouldn't wear my hair that way, but I don't think that's terrible. But you're giving somebody a chance to put something in your life that you'll store. You'll think about that. They even use, they even use religious humor. And then Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish, making enough to feed 2,000 people and ate it all himself. <clears throat> Again, it's meant to be a joke, but it's really dangerous because these negative words ring around in our head. And if they can find a place to set up an insecurity, what they do is they start gathering other information. Oh, somebody else said this, somebody else said this, somebody else said this. And before you know it, you've got a full-blown insecurity that can turn into a value issue. It's, it's, uh, it's dangerous, negative words. Uh, a third way that rolls into our lives that um, sometimes we cooperate with, sometimes people do it for us, is uh, we compare. Maybe some, somebody compares us to a brother or sister. Maybe a parent does that. Maybe somebody else. Maybe you compare yourselves with somebody else. And, and very quickly, you can see where less than can happen. People compare themselves with beauty of somebody else and go, I'm less than that. They compare themselves on all kinds. Of, we had a song at the top of this thing that was about a model um, who worried about how she looked. And you're like, that is the weirdest thing ever, right? She's being paid for somebody to take pictures of her. But she has this insecurity about how she looks. And oddly enough, that's not odd. You can find with people who are really good at something, when they do interviews with them, they'll reference all the time about the level of insecurity they have for that thing that they're known for. They're known for. And so uh, that song broadened out and said, hey, this is for all the girls who feel this way and has the sense that there's something less than about me when it comes to you. And over and over again, we find these comparisons where we look at somebody else, compare ourselves, and conclude I'm less than. Now listen, the goal of all of these the goal of all of these is to find a way to get you to be insecure, is to find a way for you to embrace that insecurity and start looking at it as if that's who I am. And when it accomplishes that, it gets the job done. Now, here's the deal. Um, from what I can tell, there's a real system for how this takes place, because if we, if it um, if God's enemies can get you to embrace this insecurity, they can move to your sense of value pretty quick. And this is how it goes. Um, I've seen this over and over again. I've experienced this myself. You have a failure. 
somebody delivers negative words, there's a comparison. You embrace that and almost immediately words of accusation fill your mind. Words of condemnation fill your heart. And all of a sudden, you're a loser for doing that. You're a loser for believing that. And, and you're like, where did that come from? And, and um, I believe God's enemies are so good at this, so slick at this. I've talked to lots of people who have concluded that the reason they feel condemned is because God thinks that way of them. That God sees what they've done, sees their failure, believes that negative thing about them, that they feel guilty about it because God wants them to feel guilty about it. And he's heaping that on them. I, I want you to understand how God really thinks about you. Uh, in the book of Romans, Paul's writing to uh, the epicenter of Rome. This is the Roman capital. Roman culture's in full bloom there. And he's writing to Christians who have a blend. They are living like the Romans, which is opposed to everything God cares about. And they're trying to become followers of Jesus, and they're, and they're not having an easy go at it. They're making a lot of mistakes. And so in chapter 6, Paul writes about sin and not getting comfortable with it. Don't, don't just keep sinning so I can give you more grace. And then he talks about salvation in, verse, or in chapter 7 about what Christ did for us. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, he says this, therefore, because of, stay away from sin, embrace the salvation, therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've chosen to follow after Jesus, God doesn't come at you with condemnation. He might try to change your direction, but he's doing that so that you can get on the right path again. Engage with him in a relationship that matters. But it's not, condemn it's not the accusations that you hear. Uh, how do I know that? Well, I, I can read the next verse. Here's what he says, you, you're not condemned, why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's two laws operating. One law operates based on sin. You mess up, you choose to do life your own way, you discard God's pattern and do what you wanna do. And God says, listen, you earn habits and patterns in your life that keep you trapped, ensnared, and they result in your death. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you get out from underneath that system, which means to say, if you don't, that's your life. Your whole life is accusations and condemnation and nothing to do to stand up against it. You'll be defined by your failures. But if you're in Christ, his goal is to set you free from all of that. And he doesn't come at you with a sense of condemnation. He doesn't come at you with a sense of accusation. He comes at you to free you, to create a different kind of life for you. But that's not what we experience, is it? When we have negative words given into our lives, we feel accused by that. It's not what happens when somebody says, I, I don't value you. All of that kind of stuff comes to head when we compare. And we conclude, I don't have any value. And here's the goal. See, God's enemies have been so good at this that we've actually become convinced that it's from God. It's not. And so they settle for the next best thing, which is pretty good. Uh, it might even be better than God. For some of us, he convinces you to carry that lie for him, God's enemy. And you become convinced that this is true about you. This is who I am. This is, this is my failure. This is my mistake. This negative thing about me is true. Have you ever talked to a friend that's believed something that's not true and you tried to convince them that they were wrong and they wouldn't listen to you? Why? Because they knew better. They knew better. And if God's enemies can stir up an insecurity where you know better than God, where you, this is who I am, I am a failure. I am a loser. 
I am this weak. I am less than this other person. They just have to walk away. Because you'll carry that for ages and you'll roast yourself. We tend to be our worst critics. And God's enemies are counting on it. That your failure can be placed at your responsibility. The accusations will come. The condemnation will come. And then you'll accept it and wear yourself down. So what's the truth? Because the only thing that can destroy a lie is what's true. Here's the truth. God loves you and says you're of great value to him. He sees great value in who you are. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, just a few verses back, Paul's talking to the same group of people who are wrestling with all of this difficulty. And he says this in verse 8 of chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. How does he show us he loves us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion against God, when we were opposed to him, we were, our lives were still full of sin, and we didn't give a rip. We didn't care at all. We hadn't gone, oh, man, maybe I should clean this self up and make myself good. None of that's happened. And God looks at you and says, sacrificing my son for you, worth it. Because I think you have value. I love you. You have value. In fact, you can find throughout the scriptures, over and over again, God trying to make this case because it's not something that sinks into our hearts very easily. We believe these things that we're insecure about. They've shaped who we are. And God's trying to break through, and so he uses pictures. There's one in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is about to send his disciples out. They're going to go represent him in the world. This is the first time on their own. And he's giving them some information that they're going to need to do that. And one of the things he talks about is their sense of value. And he says this. He, he paints a picture for them. In verse 29 of Matthew chapter 10, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I've, I've got a picture of a Middle Eastern sparrow um, that we can put up on the screen. Uh, these are all over the place. They were so plentiful in Jesus' day that they would trap them and then sell them. But they weren't getting very much money for them. They would get a penny for them, for two of them, right? So there, there's not a lot of value. What did they sell them for? Oh, I have a picture of that too. Oh, check it out. Yeah. Um, I was reading a guy who was, who was looking at this, and he goes, okay, I'll give it a try. And he started peeling the, um, the meat off, and the guy goes, oh, no, no, that's not how you eat it. You pop the whole thing in your mouth and crunch down like a pizza roll. Whoa! Gross, right? I'd try it once. But this is, this is, the, this is what they were capturing him for. They would capture him. You wouldn't make a ton of money on this, but you could make a little bit. And Jesus says, listen, about these little sparrows that are everywhere, a dime a dozen, yet not one of them will fall to the ground Outside your father's care, God the Father knows about this little sparrow, knows when it falls, knows everything that's going on with them, cares for them. And then he says this, verse 30, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of you are a lot easier than others, right? Like, guys like one. Um, this is written so that you understand that God has a sense of intimacy with you. No, knows stuff about you that nobody else knows. You don't even know this about you. You can't tell me how many hairs you have on your head, but God knows this. And then he says this. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. That, that word many there is a great number. It would have been a big number. You're more than a Huge number of sparrows to me. I know they're worthless, but you pile a huge number of sparrows up, and still when I look at you, I have a sense of value for who you are, who I created you to be. 
I love you, have value in you. And yet, these attacks that we face, they have the, they have the direct goal of finding a way to convince you to believe the opposite. When you fail, starts away at you, just picks away at you. When negative words are used, it opens up that insecurity. When you compare, you have insecurity. And all the while, it's there, festering away. You gather stuff in, and it shapes the way you think about your life, directs the steps that you take, because I've watched what happens when your value finally comes under attack. You know what happens? You conclude, why try, why care? Why give any effort at all? And so some mistakes that you were making that you were embarrassed about and you wish you could stop, you just feel like you're a failure, so why care, why try to stop? And you just go. I've watched people make a decision to say, why care, why try? Maybe somebody else can give me value. And they give themselves to another person. That person doesn't care about you. They're using you, but at least you feel like you can get some value that way. This stuff is dangerous. It shapes the, the way you live when you get to a point where your insecurities convince you that you're a failure, you're a loser, you're a whatever. A few years back, I, um, I was on a creative team, and uh, we had fun. It was a really good team. We came up with uh, ideas to pull off, and then we pulled off the ideas. And I felt like I was a, um, a valued member of that team. They had communicated that. Um, I, we enjoyed each other. It was a fun working environment. We, it was, uh, there was a lot of wrestling with creativity because it's hard. And uh, we just finished a meeting one day, and I had left. And um, I remembered I, for, I forgot to tell them something. I, I went back. Everybody else had cleared out. There were two people in the office. There was an open area that you kind of come into and then over to the office. And I got halfway through that open area, and I heard my name mentioned. And I just kind of froze. And the next words that came out of their mouth were not flattering. And uh, I didn't stay and take notes. I left. I just didn't feel like that was my, it was any of my business to stay there, so I got out of there. But just those uh, few words um, started to bounce around in my head. I, I, didn't, I didn't do the right thing. I didn't go back and have a conversation. I didn't have the courage to do any of that. I just let the words go. And I started to let that define who I was. And it didn't take but six months, and I was no longer on that team. Not because they asked me to get off, not because I wanted to get off. I got off because I didn't think I should be on that team because I wasn't valuable enough based on what I had heard and what I had blown it up into in my head. I roasted me. I completely roasted me. I wish I could tell you that was all in the past and it never happens again. But we, ha we have this thing where we're almost, um, we're almost looking for stuff, for our insecurities to latch onto. I don't know why, um, but lately I've been attracting a lot more uh, critique and criticism from people. Uh, somebody called Waypoint a few weeks back and uh, wanted to know before they would visit, wanted to know stuff about Waypoint. And so I kind of talked them through it and answered their questions. And uh, it was fine. Uh, we hung up. I thought to myself, they're never going to come here. <laughs> Um, because they were asking some really uh, kind of tough stuff, and I was giving them my, my best answer. And uh, went away um, for just a little bit. I had to go to the bathroom or something. I came back, and there was a message on, the, on my phone. And, um, and the guy had called back and had decided to tell me that he wasn't going to come to Waypoint, and the reason was because of me, and that I was terrible for the congregation, terrible for our country, and he kind of went on and on, and, and then ended. You know what's weird? I still have that message on my phone. I don't know why. I know why. Because it picks away at a little insecurity that I have, and I just keep it there to reinforce maybe, maybe he was right. I, I know that's not true. I'm just telling you how this works. 
So let me just ask you a question. Are you roasting you anywhere? Is there a failure that happened in your life? Maybe it happened years ago. Maybe it's one of those that nobody knows about, but you feel like it's a failure on your part. And it has started to define who you are. Are you roasting you because of some negative words that were delivered into your life? And you think maybe they reinforce an idea about who you are. And now you're carrying that. You've got it. Is there a comparison that you found yourself starting to define who you are? And you're absolutely roasting you. It's, it's time for the truth. I need it, and you need it. God loves you. He values you. He does not want you to get to a place where you do not care and will not try. He wants your whole heart in his kingdom. And when you allow other things to define you, you remove yourself from that battle. Is it time for you to embrace the truth? Is it time for you to embrace the fact that God absolutely loves you, absolutely values you, and you should trust his value of you ahead of your own roasting? Maybe it's time. Let me pray with you. God, this... Um, this stuff is hard because I'm convinced that most of us deal with this. Uh, God's enemies are looking to find a way to chip away at the little insecurities that we feel, the little doubts that we've got tucked away, and then that failure comes along or those negative words comes along or that comparison comes along and all of a sudden we have the proof, the evidence that we needed that indeed our insecurity is valid. And before we know it, in our minds, we're worth less. Worth less than other people. Worth less than what you say we're worth. God, would you give us the courage to let you define our sense of value? That we would push back away from the roasting pan that we would embrace your picture of who we are and that your voice would be the loudest that we hear. There is no condemnation. There is a God who loves us, values us, better than many great number of sparrows. You have the sense of value for who we are. God, may we embrace that. We ask that your picture for us would define us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand and sing with us? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, all you who are tired and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Become my servants and learn from me. I am gentle and free of pride. You will find rest for your souls. Serving me is easy and my load is light.